0: It's Labor Day weekend, summer's humidity has given way to fall's cooler morning and college students are back in town. The action is exciting, I love it. I've asked a few friends, college students, to help me today to launch us towards God's purposes. Uh, Ashish and Na'od, Ashish is from the east side of the state. He has a huge heart for other people and an awakening heart to God and Na'od Na'od has an amazing story of challenge and endurance, faith and trust in a God who does a new thing. Na'od is going to read for us from a book that was recommended to me just a few weeks ago titled, Beauty Will Save the World. It's a quote borrowed from Fyodor Dostoevsky. And then Ashish will read, as you can imagine, from Leslie Newbigin and a little book titled Foolishness to the Greeks, First Na'od. Our task is not to protest the world into a certain moral conformity, but to attract the world to the saving beauty of Christ. To attract the world to the saving beauty of Christ. I love that. What if that's God's heart for your life personally and our life collectively, to attract the world to the saving beauty of Christ? And with that, now also listen to this, my friend Ashish, reading from New Begin. The resurrection is not the reversal of a defeat, but the proclamation of the victory. The king reigns from the tree. The reign of God has indeed come upon us, and its sign is not a golden throne, but a wooden cross. The reign of God is indeed upon us, and its sign is not a golden throne, but a wooden cross. Let's follow Jesus in the way of the cross. Mostly I just wanted you to meet Ashish and Na'od, but I'm also hoping they helped to set your heart to Christ's person and Christ's purposes. Christ who by his life and through that wooden cross and in his resurrection promises to make everything new. He says himself, behold, I'm making all things new. So listen with me to the story, to the earth-shattering story of a God who does a new thing. It's from the Gospel of John. You may recognize the story. It's chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who had anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus Lord, he whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, but rather to God's glory so that the Son of God might be glorified through it accordingly. Though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he remained two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were just trying to stone you there and do you want to go there again? And Jesus said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble for they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night stumble for for the light is not in them. And then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I must go and awaken him. And they said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll be all right. Jesus, however, was speaking of his death, not merely referring to sleep, and then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Now let us go. And Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. When he came near the village he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles journey, so many Jews had come to Mary and to Martha to console them about their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, and she said, "'Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died.'" But I I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah the son of God the one coming into the world and when she had said this she went back and called Mary and said to her privately that the teacher is coming and is calling for you now Jesus had not yet come to the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him Mary got up quickly and went out and the Jews who were in the house consoling her saw that she got up quickly so they went to follow her thinking she was going to the tomb to weep but when Mary came to the place and saw Jesus she fell at his feet and said Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died and when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who were with her consoling her also weeping he was greatly disturbed in his spirit and deeply moved and he said tell me where you've laid him And they said, Come and see. And Jesus began to weep. And some said, See how he loved him. And others said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So he came again, deeply disturbed, to the tomb. It was a cave, and there was a stone laying over it. Jesus said, remove the stone and Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, there's already a stench for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believed you'd see the glory of God? So they took the stone away and Jesus looked upwards and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for the crowd that's standing near me, that they may believe that you sent me. And then he said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth, his face covered in cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44, if you want to hit pause and find it in a Bible with you or the smartphone on you, but please come back. This is the story of a God doing a new thing. That's Christ's heart for you. That's Christ's heart for me. That's Christ's heart for us, to do a new thing in you, with us, for the world. And when when God does a new thing, there's life and there's freedom. Life and freedom. Life and freedom. It, it reminds me of a poem by Walt Whitman. You may have heard it. O oh me, O oh life. Of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, of myself for forever reproaching myself for who more foolish than I and who more faithless of eyes that vainly crave the light, of the object's mean, of the struggle ever renewed, of the poor results of all, of the plodding and sordid crowds I see around me, of the empty and useless years of the rest with the rest me intertwined, the question, O me, so sad, recurring, what good amid these, O me, O life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. I like Whitman's question. What good amid these? What good amid these? These circumstances of pain, we see it around the world, this series of sadness, we watch it happening each day, that broken heart, the tragedy, the devastation. Look in every direction, you'll find it. What good amid these? O me, O life. Whitman asks and then answers our hope that you are here. That life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. The powerful play goes on. The unfolding drama of God's salvation goes on, culminating in the person of Jesus Christ who intends to make all things new. What good amid these, O me, O life? Christ Christ who intends to do a new thing. And when God does the new thing through Jesus Christ, there's life and freedom, life. Jesus says in one place, I am the life. And then in this place, John 11, he says, I'm the resurrection and the the life. And then in a different place, I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. God is about life. Jesus Christ came to nurture life. God made life in the beginning when he created the world and he redeemed life through his son Jesus Christ and finally one day will redeem and renew all of life. He's about life. Jesus gets word from the sisters Martha and Mary that Lazarus, their brother, is ill. They send him a message, Lord, he whom you love is ill, which I think is worth highlighting. I think it's worth noting. He whom you love is ill. Apparently the pain, the illness, the sickness, the brokenness, the tragedy, the devastation. We see it all around. Apparently, that's not the determining factor of God's care, affection, and love. He whom you love is ill. And then Jesus waits. He paused. He delayed. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Does it ever feel to you like Jesus is delayed? For whatever reason, he paused. He's waiting. Maybe he knew the cost. Maybe he knew what it would cost. The Jews were after him. They'd they'd heard of his growing fame, and they were growing angry. Maybe Jesus knew what it would cost, so he waited two days or maybe he wanted to make the point abundantly clear. If there was any question if Lazarus had died or not, he wanted it to be abundantly clear. He waited two more days so it was clear. He was in the tomb. You could already smell the stench of his death. He waited two days to make it clear. This illness does not lead to death, but rather to God's glory so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Maybe Jesus just wanted the point to be made clear, or maybe it was some combination of both. Maybe he knew the cost and he wanted to pay it, so he waited to make it clear so they come after him this is the catalyst this is the linchpin for the for the jewish community to put christ to death he knew the cost and he wanted to pay it the cost was the cross the cost was the grave and he went to the cross and he went to the grave and he rose up in resurrection so that god might be glorified so that the son of god might be glorified through it so jesus gets to the tomb It's sort of ironic you know he says remove the stone from the tomb and in just a few weeks the stone over his tomb would be rolled back too he stares into death's darkness a sort of gospel foreshadowing of what would happen to his own life when he himself would go into death's darkness and he shouts with a loud voice lazarus come out And the dead man came out, alive, whole, well, resurrected. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet still bound with strips of cloth, his face covered in cloth. The dead Lazarus was incapable of raising himself. Sorry for stating the obvious. Lazarus was incapable of accomplishing this for himself. He was dead. He was gone, out of breath. It's a sort of Genesis echo Genesis 1, you you can find it at the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. While a wind from God swept over the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. Creation was incapable of creating itself. Only when and as the voice of God hovered over the waters did life happen. And here we are again. Lazarus, come out. Let there be light. And Lazarus came out and there was light. And here we are now. Here we are still with Lazarus, incapable, lying in the world's dark tomb of sadness, incapable on our own of defeating the addictions that hound, incapable on our own of creating the just world we long to see, incapable of ridding ourselves from the sin that keeps us chained to the place where we are. We're incapable, but only when and as Jesus Christ shows up and speaks life into existence are we set free, do we have life. Lazarus, come out, life, 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 only when the living God speaks is there life. And too often and too quickly, we try to create our own lives based on our own set of convictions and commitments, thinking we can define our lives the way we'd like, but only as and when we receive the voice, the life giving voice of God, do we find life. So here's the thing here's the deal it is Labor Day weekend. You are reordering your life, you're rescheduling your days. Is there time and space in your life and day to listen to the life-giving voice? The life you long for, the new life you're hoping for, the new thing you want God to do in the world, translating into life for you and for us, is only possible when you listen to the life-giving voice of God and follow in the way of Jesus. What good amid these, O me, O life? What good amid all of this, that you are here Whitman says, here, creating life and freedom. Life and freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Brothers and sisters, you were called to freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom. Jesus Christ is about freedom. So here he is. He's at the tomb He announces life over Lazarus. Lazarus, come out, and the dead man came out, his hands and his feet still bound with strips of cloth, his face covered in cloth. And then he says, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and set him free. You are set free, just like Lazarus, set free from the past you can't change, set free from the cultural scripts that try to define who you are. Set free from the anxiety that swirls you out of taking the courageous step. Unbind her and let her go. You're free from the temptations that lure you in all the wrong directions. You're free from the bitterness and anger that wreaks its havoc on your relationships. You're free. Set free by the living Christ who says still, who says now, unbind her, unbind him and let him go. When God does the new thing, there's life and freedom. This is the way of Jesus. He comes in contact with a woman caught in adultery and says, I don't condemn you, but don't do it anymore. Free. He meets the the demon-possessed man who referred to himself as Legion and sets him free from all the voices in his heart and head. He meets Jairus' daughter convulsing and and he sets her free to an ordered life. That's the way of Christ. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, who just announced life over the dead man Lazarus, invites the disciples to unbind him and let him go. He drafts them in. He wants our participation. He said to them, unbind him and let him go. He could have done it. He raised the dead for Pete's sake. He could have spoken those binding cloths into nothingness. Instead, he invites us in. Will you be in on the freedom-making purposes of Christ in the world? I got an email this week. You know, the, the people you've seen at the Kabul airport in Afghanistan, hundreds now refugees will be resettled in West Michigan. Do you want to be in on the freedom-making purposes of Christ? After the service last Sunday, remember we wrote down those cards, the things that broke our heart, and one man came up to me afterwards and said, my heart breaks from my neighbor who doesn't know the life-giving, freeing purposes of Christ in his own life. So how about you participate and invite your neighbors to Alpha, to give them a chance to to ask the deeper, harder, important questions of life and faith and God. Do you want to participate? Too often we reduce gospel freedom to personal entitlement, and that's never the version of freedom the gospel gives, but rather it's always good for your neighbor. Will you be good for your neighbor? The new thing God does shows up as life and freedom And Christ wants you in on it. Since there's a bunch of college students back around, I thought I'd share a little bit of my story. Some of you may have heard it. I'll bore you with a few of the details. I graduated from high school in 1995 with aspirations of becoming a professional basketball player. The primary problem, I wasn't good at basketball. So I went to Hope College because they suggested, they were the only ones in the entire world who suggested I had a slight, small modicum of a chance of playing on a basketball team. So I went to Hope and I majored in chemistry and I minored in biology and Spanish and I wanted to be a doctor because that seemed to me to be the surefire way not to be a pastor. However, I wasn't good at chemistry and I don't really like biology and I can't speak Spanish. So the chances of med school became fleeting. But no worries, I met a girl. Her name was Kristen, what else matters? I applied to med schools and the rejection letters were piling up and for different reasons, Kristen and I broke up. So I graduated from college with quite a bit of debt, no vision for what to do with my life, all alone, confused, anxious. A psychiatrist diagnosed me with two forms of depression. The first he called dysthymia. He described it as a generally melancholic disposition. I kind of always thought of myself as the life of the party, but apparently not. And then the second kind he called circumstantial. And I was like, you, you have an MD to figure that out? So there I stood in the black backdrop of depression and anxiety and confusion without any idea what I was going to do. So I did what you do when you don't know what to do. I went to seminary. Took, my first semester, I took one class. It was a Hebrew class. I was translating. I was learning Hebrew. figured if I can't speak Spanish, I might as well try to learn Hebrew. I started with the alphabet, you know, little dot vowels, and, and the alphabet became words, and the words turned into sentences. And the sentences, I started translating passages of the Bible. Uh, started translating Exodus chapter 3. You might know the story about the a man named Moses and the burning bush and the bare feet. And I came to these words. I, I, I've seen your pain. I've heard your cry. I know your suffering. Translating by candlelight in my little seminary apartment. I've seen your pain. I've heard your cry. I know your suffering. I've seen your pain, dysthymia. And depression and anxiety. I've heard your cry, breakups and rejections and confusion. I know your pain, sadness and heartache and frustration. And then these words, these words began to sing a new song into my heart, send my life in a different direction. I've seen your pain. I've heard your cry. I know your suffering, and I've come down to deliver you. It wasn't a magic moment, but it was a sacred one. I've come down to deliver you. I've come down to set you free. God began to do a new thing in my life, a new thing he wants to do still in you, with us, for the world. Life and freedom. When God does the new thing, there's life and freedom. What good amid these, O me, O life, that you are here, that you're here, speaking life and freedom, making all things new. So I want you to come to the table today. I want you to listen to the voice. Wherever you are in your home, dining room, living room, wherever you are, I want you to find a piece of bread or a cracker. I want you to get some wine or juice. I want you to listen to the voice who says, this is my body given for you, my life for yours. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, my life for yours, life and freedom. What good amid these, O me, O life, that you're here. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.